This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If you design, engineer, build, or maintain buildings in California, you can get free technical training, continuing education credits, and prepare for a range of certifications through PG&E's online classes. Enroll at pge.com training. Hey guys, I'm Kaylee Short. On my podcast, Too Much to Say, I share my thoughts on everything from music to martinis, social media to social anxiety, regrets to risky texts, and so much more. I have been known to read my literal diary entries on my show, and sometimes I do interviews with my crazy group of friends. So if you guys want to tune in, you can hear new episodes of Too Much to Say every Wednesday on the Nashville Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to them. Make sure to check out Drink Champs, your number one music podcast on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Hosts NORE and DJ EFN sat down with artist and icon Ye, which Vulture called one of 2021's most significant interviews. I literally had to go like Thanos, and I don't want to have to be the villain, but when I went and did the Donda thing, Ye returned. And everybody had to sit back and watch the real leader. Check out Drink Champs conversation with Ye and many more legendary artists each and every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We've always said that this series is about so much more than just this election. As we've shown in our first four episodes, the voting issues of our past and how our country responds to them paved the way forward, shaping future elections including the history-making moment we're living in today. But now, here we are, just days away from the 2020 presidential election. And I don't know about you, but I have severe acid indigestion. So before getting into our main interview today, I wanted to dive into some of this week's big election stories. So the good news, particularly for a show called Turnout, is that people are turning out to vote in droves, 
By this recording, Americans have cast over 71 million early ballots, which is more than half of all ballots cast in the 2016 election. People are mailing them in, voting early, making a plan for election day. It's so inspiring. I, for one, called a lot of my friends to make sure they were getting their asses to the polls. I'm calling to see if you voted or you have a voting plan, Catherine. Yes, I have voted. I did a mail-in ballot. Calling to see if you voted. Of course I voted. I've already submitted my uh, mail-in ballot. Excellent. I voted yesterday. Good. I have a plan to vote. I have uh, voted an absentee ballot. But the rules about how and when those votes will be counted are the subject of a political tug of war in some key states, states like Wisconsin, where the Supreme Court had to step in with the decision on October 26. In another major blow to Democrats, Wisconsin can't count mailed-in ballots received after Election Day. If it's not close in Wisconsin, it doesn't matter. If it comes down, like it did last time, to tens of thousands of votes, this could very easily make up the difference between who ends up winning this election. The Wisconsin ruling is just the latest in a flurry of election year decisions that, rather than grant leeway because of the pandemic, as Democrats argue, have mostly sided with Republicans, keeping voting restrictions in place. The Texas Supreme Court just issued a ruling essentially shutting the door on allowing all Texans to vote by mail during the coronavirus pandemic. And the U.S. Supreme Court blocked a lower court from allowing curbside voting in Alabama. Another change in the witness signature debate for South Carolina absentee ballots. There's been so much back and forth. Finally, the Supreme Court ruled that those signatures are required. For and there are more cases like these that could be affected by Judge Amy Coney Barrett's swift dissent to the highest court in the land. This was a rigorous confirmation process, and I thank all of you, especially Leader McConnell and Chairman Graham, for helping me to navigate it. It's a privilege to be asked to serve my country in this office, and I stand here tonight truly honored and humbled. While it's true that this political tug of war has always happened as each party vies for power every election, this year is different. Mail-in voting has surged this year as Americans seek to avoid crowds at polling places, even as Trump repeatedly claimed without evidence that it leads to voter fraud. Because the president of the United States has taken fears of voter fraud to a new level, a level that questions the integrity of the entire election process. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. Thousands of votes are gathered and they come in and they're dumped in a location and then all of a sudden you lose elections that you think you're going to win. You know, so many years I've been watching elections and they say the projected winner or the winner of the election. I don't want to see that take place in a week after November 3rd or a month or frankly, with litigation and everything else that can happen, years years, or you never even know who won the election. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Turnout. Can you or the White House staff or your campaign provide any evidence to back up your claim that mail-in voting is rife with fraud, like the example you gave of people working in rooms filling out yeah. false ballots? Sure. And where's the evidence of it? The, uh, I think there's a lot of evidence, but we'll provide you with some, okay? And there's evidence that's being compiled. Just Today on the podcast, an interview with an unlikely critic of President Trump. The president's rhetoric, unproven rhetoric, 
the fact that there is not sufficient evidence to, to show systemic fraud did flip a switch because that's where the irresponsibility comes in. Benjamin Ginsburg is a top Republican election lawyer who just retired in August after 38 years in the GOP trenches. Now he's spending his time writing op-eds, and one that got my attention back in September was a surprisingly blunt rebuke of the president's baseless claims that the electoral system is rigged. The sanctity of elections and making sure they're done properly should be of of deep concern to to everyone. It really is the foundation of the democracy. And for the the 40 years that I'd been working in Republican politics, I was either in a precinct or part of a a sort of a roving lawyer team in a state or running a nationwide program where we were talking to people in polling places to see what the problems were. Republicans I mean, probably back since the days of Tammany Hall and the big city machines have been suspicious of fraudulent elections and vote rigging. So we've always looked for it. And every state law has provisions for poll watchers or election observers. And uh, both parties should take full advantage of that because it's very important to have your people in a polling place to look for problems. And so we've done that. Now, There were sort of sporadic instances of fraud that came to light, but never, nothing that would justify a president of the United States, really any candidate, saying our elections are fraudulent and they're rigged, and the only way I can lose is if they cheat, because there simply is not evidence to support that. And so to say otherwise is completely destructive. So I think that this is brought us into new and uh, dangerous territory. And the fact that I had been a part of those programs for so many years uh, meant that I thought I had a perspective on it. And what concerns you the most about the rhetoric we're hearing undermining our electoral process from the president of the United States himself? Well, you see it reflected in the polls this cycle where a, uh, a dangerously and shockingly high number of, of people say they're not sure that the election's going to be valid and the results accurate. And that's really a product of presidential rhetoric and certainly not a product of, of any real evidence. Well, let me ask you this. To play devil's advocate, we've never had an election quite like this obviously been <laughs> in the midst of a, a of a pandemic with a really unprecedented number of mail-in ballots and i'm curious if you think that that might provide fertile ground for the kind of election fraud that some people in the specifically in the republican party are warning us of well, I, I, first of all, I think there are two sides to the coin, and we should we should talk about that. So there is a huge difference between uh, a rhetorical fusillade that elections are fraudulent or rigged, and actually being able to show that in a way that would taint the results of an election. And rather than than talking uh, at a rally or uh, making uh, threats in a tweet. 
you will really have to go precinct by precinct and find specific instances of fraud. They can find specific instances of fraud. It should be rooted out and, uh, and corrected. But to be able to actually throw the results of the election in doubt, uh, there will have to be uh, ballots that are called into question. Now, I don't believe that there will be a specific number of individual ballots that can be called into question. And mass challenges have always been frowned upon in as a matter of law and in legal proceedings. So I think that um, feelings have been revved up to a much higher degree in this election. But I think the results in the casting and counting of ballots themselves will, uh, will be done in a way that there will be verifiable results of the election. How can you assure listeners of that, that the systems are in fact in place that will prevent and penalize any kind of voter fraud, even it's, if it is in fact very sporadic? Well, I think that's I think it's true on a number of levels. First of all, is that you can go back and look at instances of fraud that have been uncovered and prosecuted. Um, rarely is it enough to overturn the results of an election, but sometimes there was a congressional race in North Carolina in 2018 where there were illegalities found, so a new election was held. There have been uh, elections in Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, in this past year, where there was found to be systemic fraud, and that was corrected. Um, But at the end of the day, I think people can take a degree of certitude knowing that their ballots are going to be counted in their community by their neighbors. The U.S. system has over 10,500 jurisdictions with, uh, with some degree of authority for the casting and counting of ballots. Uh, in a normal year, over a million people will volunteer to be poll watchers. They're all people from your communities. And um, I was co-chair of a presidential commission, bipartisan commission back in 2013 and 14, where we got to spend an extraordinary amount of time meeting the actual people from the communities on the state, county, uh, and local levels who are responsible for conducting elections. And I take a great amount of, of uh, solitude in, in knowing how. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Good those people are and how much they do care. Having said that, what was your reaction, Ben, when you started hearing Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, and other high-ranking Republicans start laying the groundwork for uh, an all-out assault on our democratic process? Well, I'm not sure that they laid the groundwork for an all-out assault. I think they used irresponsible and regrettable rhetoric, but... Again, the groundwork for an assault would require challenging on a local level uh, in a very granular fashion. And the battleground states, with the exception of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, have all begun to process their absentee ballots already, the mail-in votes that we've been reading are coming in, in such heavy quantity. Uh, And there have not been those wide-scale challenges. So at least so far, that's been more rhetoric than reality. Hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break. My name's Hannah. I'm Dan. I'm Ben. And we are Group Love. If you're dealing with stress or anxiety or just need some help, CalHOPE is here for all Californians with free mental health resources to help you navigate this uncertain time. Go to calhope.org to live chat with one of their incredible listeners. Or call their warm line at 1-833-317-HOPE. That's 1-833-317-H-O-P-E. Hope lives here in California. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Introducing The Biz Tape, your all things music, business, and media podcast. Join me, Joe Wozleski, and my co-host, Colin McKay, every Wednesday, where we discuss the breaking news changing the music industry and what your favorite artists and creatives are up to. Colin, who's your favorite artist? Oh, you know, the trifecta. Demi Lovato, Ariana Grande, Captain Beefheart. (laughs) Snap back to reality, Eminem style. Join music industry professionals Joe and I as we pull back the curtain of the successes and failures of the biz. You guys have been hanging out a while. What are they doing, Colin? I guess listening to an ad. Sorry. Listen to new episodes of The Biz Tape every Wednesday on the Nashville Podcast Network. Available on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Let's return to my interview with Republican election lawyer Ben Ginsburg. Let's talk about these legal battles. The RNC and the Trump re-election campaign, as you know, have doubled their legal budget to $20 million. I think you called it a torrent of 2020 voting litigation already underway. What up with that, Ben? <laughs> well, so it, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting phenomenon, and I think you need to take a step back to appreciate. I uh, in 2010, Republicans did very well in the Obama midterms and took control of a number of state legislatures and won a number of governorships, and then increased that in in 2012 on the state and local level. That gave Republicans the ability to pass legislation that they felt gave them an advantage in the electoral context. And so they did pass any number of laws. Uh, the, the Clinton forces and really uh, much more the Biden forces decided that they would go to court to try and turn back those pieces of legislation that Republicans passed. Now, before we start clicking our tongues at the bad Republicans for doing that, recognize that when uh, Democrats won control of the Nevada legislature and governorship and the New Jersey legislature and governorship, they have now, since 2018, passed the Democratic version of legislation that helps them in elections. So it's something that both parties do. The RNC sued the Democrats after they passed uh, that legislation. The Republicans have been more successful in this past decade in winning legislatures. And so they have passed any number of laws that the Democrats don't like. And the Democrats have gone to court, both federal and state, to try and redress it. Now that the shoe is a little bit on the other foot after the 2018 elections, Democrats have passed their bills and Republicans have gone to court. So the the weight of the legislation is really because Republicans did better in elections uh, earlier in the decade. Well, this seems pretty effed up to me, Ben. I mean, why are these election laws so malleable depending on who's in power? Can't they? I mean, I guess that's that's our system of government, but it seems a little screwed up to me. Well, I, I, you know, I think that they are policy choices that get made in legislation. It happens in laws involving elections. It certainly happens in laws involving taxes or the environment or any other issue that you want to choose. There are differences between the power, the parties, and when one party gets in power, they have a tendency to want to pass their agenda. I get that, but voting should be sacrosanct, don't you think? Well, I think that there are there are disagreements in policy over elections. Republicans tend to fear fraud, and Democrats tend to fear suppression. And in one of the other underlying phenomenons that's grown in the country over the last 30 years is polarization, so that uh, there are very few undecided voters at this point in an election. That means that each parties go to their base to try and energize their bases to come out. And so the rhetoric and the foundational work that gets done reflects that. And that is what I think you're saying is bad and 
you know, that um, that's a much bigger phenomenon than just elections and voting. Do you believe that concern about voter fraud can inevitably lead to voter suppression? Well, I think that there are in some ways two sides of the same coin. And I think that not all the laws that are accused of being suppression are suppression. And as I've written, I think many of the charges about fraud are wrong. But I think, unfortunately, the fraud versus suppression narrative has creeped into the get out the vote plans of both parties. And as you try and energize your base with red meat rhetoric, which is what we do these days on both sides, Republicans are going to yell fraud, Democrats are going to yell suppression. That probably does energize their base. But what I think you're rightly pointing to is what about people in the middle of the spectrum who are not hard partisans, who really kind of want to weigh the candidates and the issues and vote one way or the other. They hear the loud decibels about fraud and suppression and think, wow, that's a hassle for me to go to the polls, so I'm not going to go to the polls. Can you give me an example of a Republican law, state law, or passed by a Republican-controlled legislature regarding voting and one that might have been passed by a Democratic legislature? Uh, well, I mean, let's, let's take a look at... Uh, at the date in which absentee ballots need to be received by a state. So the at least the cases that are uh, going up to the Supreme Court are ones where Republicans voted to have all absentee ballots received. Uh. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. In the polling place on Election Day, the Democrats have been convinced that uh, it is better really for them to get more votes in 
to be able to extend the deadlines on the receipt of absentee ballots. So uh, any ballot postmarked by election day can be received three days, six days, 12 days uh, after an election. So a Republican legislature would pass election day receipt and a Democratic legislature has passed some days afterwards. If there is so little fraud, why is the Republican Party passing all these laws preventing fraud if if uh, experience tells us that there is very little fraud? So the 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 credibility of our elections uh, also depends on their appearance. In other words, can voters take confidence that's a, that it's a system with some standards so that cheating and fraud don't go on? In other words, the appearance of impropriety uh, is recognized, for example, in campaign finance laws, which I'm sure you love, to justify limitations on the size of contributions. That's There hasn't been a finding of impropriety. It's an appearance of impropriety. The same holds true in the election contest, that you do need to put some standards on it, whether it's showing voter identification when you go into the polls or a signature match on an absentee ballot to give voters after the election uh, some elements of proof that, in fact, all the votes are legitimate. You outright asked Republicans to, quote, take a hard look before advocating laws that actually do limit the franchise of otherwise qualified voters. Yeah, I think that's important for Republicans to do. I think that's not uh, always enough of the equation in in all these states. I think it is important to to make it easy for people to vote. To give you an example, uh, Republicans have uh, all of a sudden gone negative on drop boxes where voters can take their ballots and drop them in a box. And that's the way it gets uh, they get processed and counted. So they don't have to stand in lines either in early voting. They don't have to trust the mails uh, by by mailing them through the Postal Service. The drop box. Republicans, for some reason, have decided that drop boxes are a bad idea. That, to me, is a barrier to voters that that makes little or no sense. And I I don't think it's right that the Republican Party in a number of states taken that position. When we come back, Ben Ginsburg throws water on the president's fiery claims and the Democrats' worst post-election fears. I call the Union Hall. I say it's a matter of life and death. I think these people are planning to kill Dr. King. On April 4th, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King was shot and killed in Memphis. A petty criminal named James Earl Ray was arrested. He pled guilty to the crime and spent the rest of his life in prison. Case closed, right? James Earl Ray was a pawn for the official story. The authorities would parade, oh, we found a gun that James Earl Ray bought in Birmingham that killed Dr. King. Except it wasn't the gun that killed Dr. King. One of the problems that came out when I got the Ray case was that some of the evidence, as far as I was concerned, did not match the circumstances. 
This is the MLK Tapes. The first episodes are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us your attention. We need everything you got fast. Waiting on reparations. We be the endless podcast. Tune in every Thursday. Politics and wordplay. We fight for the people because they got us in the worst way. From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye. From the left enclave to what the neocons say. Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation. And, and break us off with some bread because we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 9021OMG, join Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind-the-scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Get all the juicy details of every episode that you've been wondering about for decades as 90210 90210 super fan and radio host Sissony sits in with Jenny and Tori to reminisce, reflect, and relive each moment from Brandon and Kelly's first kiss to shouting, Donna Martin graduates. You have an amazing memory. You remember everything about the entire 10 years that we filmed that show. And you remember absolutely nothing of the 10 years that we filmed that show. <laughs> Listen to 9021OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you think President Trump is saying fraud, 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 fraud whenever he gets a chance? No, I don't know. I'm a humble lawyer and not a psychiatrist, so I'm not sure I really know the answer to that question. Come uh, on, Ben. You know the answer. I don't. Why? Tell me the answer. I think because he wants to be able to delegitimize the election but if he does doesn't win. Play that out for me, Katie. What? What? Play that out for me. How does that happen? So I don't know. I mean, I think he I, says. I don't know either. There was, and I'm not sure. Well, anybody. here, wait a second. Well, <laughs> let's say, what if he says, Ben, let's just let's just play this out. Like you said, what if he says that there's voter fraud? It's everywhere. And some of these Republican legislatures, you know, agree with him or people who he has in his pocket agree with him. And then he can hold the entire country hostage by How? saying this isn't legitimate. I don't know. That's, that's, I don't know. That's honestly, that's honestly not the way it works. That, that's why I said before that there's a massive difference between talking about fraud and trying to delegitimize an election and having the proof of that in a state election process. And that that's why I think the the notion that that he's somehow going to disrupt the whole country is a little bit overblown because like you, no one can exactly say the steps that it would take to get from, oh, gee, everything's fraudulent to actually stopping the certification of a vote and the naming of a slate of electors in, in any state. So it's a case of all talk. But if you did have to hypothesize, Ben, how someone might try to go about delegitimizing uh, the election results. How might one do that if one was so inclined? 
Well, I think I think the the hypothetical that I did discuss in one of those Washington Post op-eds was that the campaign, the Trump campaign, uh, would quite cynically engage in mass challenges of voters as they went into polling places on grounds of registration. And then in the counting of ballots on the, the validity of absentees as they came in. But it would have to be massive blunderbuss challenges. So if the polls are to be believed um, in the key battleground states, there are not enough challenges. Now, if the results are considerably closer, right, and this does hinge on the results in, in any of the battleground states being really close, then it might be possible to, to challenge enough ballots to hold up a certificate of election uh, so, that, so that the Electoral College would, would get a little bit murky. Well, what would happen if it's close enough that you could challenge the results in these key battleground states? Um, you know, take me through that. Then what would happen? Depends. Well, I mean, it, it depends on the state. So, uh, you know, there, there, are so many, there are so many variables and in, in different pieces that would have to fall into place uh, that you would you'd be tempted to say it's impossible, except Florida happened in 2000, so not impossible. But it, it's really highly unlikely. Uh, what, what would have to happen is that, uh, I guess, the Electoral College, nobody would have 270 votes when all the states that could tabulate their ballots did. And there would be one, two, or three states that were within the margins of closeness set by state law, which is either 0.2% or 0.5% of, uh, of the difference between the, the two candidates. And so there would be a recount or a contest. And you know, when they're that close, there are always ballots that that can be disputed. But that's also part of the legitimate process if an election is close to go through a recount or a contest. Do you think we might get to the point where the Supreme Court decides who the next president of the United States is this go round? Well, I mean, I think it's I think it's really, really unlikely. You know, I think the the greatest chance is that we'll have a pretty clear indication of a winner, if not election night, within a couple of days of that. Uh, I think given the all the absentees that have been filed, it may take a week or two longer. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the election has been so close and contested uh, that it's been thrown in doubt three times out of the 57 that we've had. So I'm going to take a wild guess that there's a 5.2% chance of it being that. And so in that scenario, it might end up going to the to the Supreme Court. But that hasn't happened often in our history. And it's a mistake to bet against history. Let's talk about 2000, because you were imminently involved in the recount in Florida. Bob Balaban played you in the movie <laughs> Recount. Did you like that casting, by the way, Ben? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Somebody must have been, somebody must have thought I was short and bald. <laughs> Are we going to win, Mr. Ginsburg? By tomorrow morning, the stains of Bill Clinton will be washed away. 
and honor and dignity will finally be restored to the White House. Let me just point out, let me just point out about the casting that I thought Bob Balabin was terrific. But Michael Hooley, uh, who is my opposite on the Democratic side, is both shorter and balder than I am. And he was played by Dennis O'Leary, a six foot two uh, inch guy with a full head of hair. So I'm just going to throw that out as a a casting (laughs) example of the film. Duly noted, duly noted. But how insane was it? For you, it made, by the way, it made me want to rewatch Recount tonight because I was covering that every day when I was at the Today Show. I mean, was that completely insane? Yes, it, it, it certainly was. Just remember when you rewatch it that we won the recount and they won the movie. <laughs> well, uh, I guess it depends on who you were, who were you rooting for for president, right? Well, I'm just saying that's a statement of fact. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it does show us something about the system with this whole difference between the popular vote and the Electoral College. Does it ever make you wonder if, if the system needs to be rethought and the Electoral College perhaps gotten gotten rid of? Well, I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, the, the historical antecedents of the Electoral College is that the founding fathers needed a compromise between the agrarian interests and the federalists who were more more in the cities. And so the electoral college was the compromise that we've had for 240 some years. Um, It's a compromise that's worked in the sense that campaigning for president would be completely different. Uh, and what would happen is that candidates would go to urban areas and forget rural areas because there just aren't enough votes. So um, that would be that would be a, a shift and really an isolation of the country um, as a whole. I mean, I think that changing the electoral college and talk of that is something that comes about when Democrats don't win a series of presidential elections they think they should. My guess is if Joe Biden is elected, all the talk of the Electoral College will um, will retreat to fashionable cocktail parties on the west side of Manhattan and maybe <laughs> the east side. But, but I mean, it's changing the Electoral College. Those are the rules under which we play the game. It's the equivalent of a football team that's, that gains a lot of yards but can't score saying, forget it. Don't worry about what's on the scoreboard. We're not counting that anymore. The team that gains the most yards is going to win. So you can change the rules if you really want to, but changes that are done to sort of uh, preordain an outcome, which is what this uh, bout of wanting to change the Electoral College is about, doing that to to gain a specific political result, it's a bad, bad reason to change an institution that's been around for 240 years. On the other hand, Ben, if 85% of people in this country by 2045 are living in cities um, and far outweigh the number of people in rural areas, maybe an adjustment could be made. Well, maybe if that's the way the demographic patterns really go, then I think that's possible. Look, I also think that, that part of the angst that's felt about the Electoral College has really nothing to do with politics, or is a pro- not a product of politics, but a product of a 40-year 
demographic trend in this country for people to move into communities with people more like themselves. We are living in much more homogeneous communities uh, than we ever did before. And so a lot of the polarization that has occurred, which is really what you're talking about is the root problem with the Electoral College, has been caused by these sort of inexorcible demographic uh, uh, trends. You know, I'm not sure changing the Electoral College deals with that root issue. Let's talk about your role specifically in 2000. How would you describe it? What what were you there to do? (laughs) Uh, Well, I was the general counsel of the Bush-Cheney campaign. And um, uh, I had, because I had worked elections and for the political party committees, done a lot of recounts on the, the congressional and state level. And so when we got ourselves in a recount, um, you know, I had helped prepare a lot of the basic materials that you always do for recounts. And then I uh, went down to to Florida to help run the operations. What is your perspective on the impact that event had on our election system? The most immediate impact was that in 2003, Congress actually passed a massive infusion of of money into the election systems. Uh, Almost all communities bought new machines, new technology uh, at that point. And so it, it really... Uh, for a period of time, upgraded the mechanics of voting in the country. I mean, the problem is, is that those machines uh, don't have a huge long shelf life. And most jurisdictions in the country now are, are running, running pretty long in the tooth on the equipment that they're using. Not only that, Ben, but they can be hacked and they can't well, be often. They, well, I don't know. I did a documentary called I Voted, and it showed how easy it was to hack some of those systems. Some University of Michigan students did it in a couple of days. Furthermore, there's no way to verify and double check some of the results. So electronic voting is kind of problematic, don't you think? Well, I have a pro- I do have a problem with the touchscreen machines. Right. Uh, in which there's no paper trail. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. I, I think it's a real mistake. And and we're in a we're in a bad way with our voting systems. I mean, uh, it's really tough to get communities who have to build schools and roads and feed people to appropriate money for uh, for elections equipment that's used every other year, maybe twice. Uh, it's just it's just not a top priority of the state and local governments that actually do the funding for uh, for machines. So that's that's a problematic issue. And plus the the most of the technology was put in place before there were iPads. So there are generations of improvements uh, that could take place that really are not a top priority uh, in, in state and local government funding. We started the conversation, Ben, you saying that it's that we're protected against voter fraud. It happens very rarely. The Republican battle cry is fraud. The Democratic battle cry is suppression. So where do where do we stand in this kind of, you know, yin yang world of of 
one side focusing on one thing and the other side focusing on another? Well, I think it's I think it's not ideal. Uh, I think it's a function or a symptom uh, of of the polarization that's part of the electorate and part of part of society. And it is those are messages to the base voters and not to the people in the middle uh, who are not fierce partisans. So that's not a way that you're going to expand the electorate. At all. How, how do you restore faith in democracy in your view? Uh, that, is a, that is a complicated question in this day and age. I mean, I suppose it ultimately goes to the quality of our leaders uh, on a national level. And I think it also goes to the way we act in our local communities. In other words, the way I think you achieve uh, the goal of restoring faith in the system is to be able to change the terms of the debate away from really polarized um, rhetoric and actions. Uh, and I, I think, um, although this I would be curious about other views on this, but I think that that is more likely to occur on a local level where it strikes me that uh, people working with their neighbors are more more likely to come up with solutions to problems than folks on the national level who are retreating to their sort of polarized bunkers. And finally, do you have faith? In, in our election process, do you feel like it will withstand any potential challenges from the president to others if the election doesn't go their way? Well, I mean, I ultimately do. I think it can be a difficult period uh, post-election if it's close, to be sure. But I do f- take faith in having known so many of the officials on a local level and a state level who actually uh, are the election system in this country. And uh, while when you have 10,500 jurisdictions and a million volunteers, there will be mistakes. But I certainly do have faith in their good intents to to get this done in, in a really professional and good way. And I suppose it's also uh, important to remember every state's law does have proceedings to allow for recounts and contests, especially when the results are, are close. And every candidate, uh, whether you like them or not, has the right or to like take her advantage. Or like her or not. Or like her or not, because I was going to get to that. <laughs> remember that Hillary Clinton's campaign uh, intervened in Jill Stein's recounts in three states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin last year, at the end of November, so that um, contesting elections is permitted by state law, uh, is one of those things candidates are allowed to do. Hillary Clinton did it. Stacey Abrams has not yet conceded the Georgia governor's race, never conceded. So that when implicit in your question is that Donald Trump won't concede. That's been done before, too. And, uh, you know, the, the system moves on. You know, after talking with Ben, I was inspired to rewatch Recount, 
which I'm actually in for a nanosecond. And I have to say, given the times we're in, it was pretty weird. There was actually one moment that stood out that I had to share. Johnny Apple says that we have a week to resolve this before the American people will lose their patience. In this scene, Al Gore's team is debating how to conduct the recount, whether they should go into Democratic-friendly counties and hand count the paper ballots, and Warren Christopher, who was the Democratic face of the recount and a former Secretary of State, played in the movie by John Hurt, says they need to be careful about how they proceed because... The world is watching. We are, theoretically, its last great democracy. If we cannot resolve this in a way that is worthy of the office we seek, what kind of hope do we give other countries who wish to share our values? We all know how that turned out, but an important reminder come Tuesday. Okay, everyone, my final plea, do make a plan. Whether you're dropping your mail-in ballot off at an official location, make sure it's not past the deadline in your state to actually put it in the mail, voting early in person, or heading to the polls on November 3rd. Bring a sandwich or the snack of your choice, listen to a podcast, and if you have any lingering questions, go to vote.org for voting details specific to your state. For election coverage and interesting and fun non-political items too, sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecurric.com. Oh, and one last thing, some advice to calm those election night nerves from our friend Jesse Littlewood at Common Cause. It's important to remember that election night is not results night. It's when we count every vote that we decide the results of the election. We would all like to know the results of the election as soon as possible, and we should strive to do that, but it's more important to be accurate than it is to be fast. Okay, listeners, good luck out there. I'll see you next week on The Other Side. Turnout is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric and Courtney Litz. Supervising producers Lauren Hansen. Associate producers Derek Clements, Eliza Costas, and Emily Pinto. Editing by Derek Clements and Lauren Hansen. Mixing by Derek Clements. Our researcher is Gabriel Loser. And special thanks to my right-hand woman, Adriana Fazio. You can follow me in all my election coverage at Katie Couric. Meanwhile, yes, I'm Katie Couric. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Kenley Jansen here, three-time All-Star and World Series champ. Si está lidiando con estrés, vaya a calhope.org para chatear en vivo con uno de los increíbles oyentes o llama a su línea directa al 1-833-317-HOPE. Hope vive aquí en California. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, cat. Giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe. Uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov. Slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
After 30 years, it's time to return to the halls of West Beverly High and hang out at the Peach Pit. On the podcast 90210OMG, visit Jenny Garth and Tori Spelling for a rewatch of the hit series Beverly Hills 90210 from the very beginning. We get to tell the fans all of the behind the scenes stories that actually happened. So they know what happened on camera, obviously, but we can tell them all the good stuff that happened off camera. Listen to 90210OMG on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.